Good morning, everyone. The Bible reading for today is in the book of John, chapter 7, verses 25 to 39. And in the Pew Bible, it's on page 867. So the book of John, chapter 7, 25 to 39, in the Pew Bible, it's in page, on page 867. And Matt has asked me to introduce, to re- introduce this reading by saying that this passage is set in the middle of a scene in Jerusalem. Previously in chapter 7, Jesus has gone to the Festival of Tabernacles and has been teaching the crowd and leaders in the temple. So we pick up the story from verse 25, which says, At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Still many of the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. May the word of God bless our lives in our hearts. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. It's wonderful to see. Oh, this is so nice. Hearing some feedback. I often um, am preaching in the evening service, and it's dead silent for anything like that. So it's lovely to hear some, uh, some uh, feedback. But it is good to be with you uh, this morning. We're going to trek through this part of John chapter 7. I do encourage you to have it in front of, in front of you. Our particular focus is going to be in Jesus' words, his invitation at the end, but that is obviously set uh, in the middle of that, that chapter. Uh, it's a beautiful invitation, and we're at the beginning of the year, and I don't know how you're feeling. I, it, there's so many things that could be going on for you. I've just come back from a holiday, and so in some way I should be feeling really refreshed. I don't feel that refreshed at all, but I had a wonderful time off. Others, other, others of you have like gone back to work, loving that. 
Uh, some are frustrated. Maybe it's uh, a season of great hope into 2023. We're, we're a mixed crowd, right? Let alone where we stand before Jesus. We can be in all sorts of places regarding that. And Jesus, he's speaking to a mixed crowd. And he's going to speak to people who are in all sorts of different places regarding him and speak to their very need, the very needs of their soul. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dig into what Jesus has to say uh, to us this morning. Our good and our gracious God, together we thank you for your word. We thank you that even though it's written centuries ago, written through humans, but your word. We ask that by your spirit, uh, you work in and through us today. May my, my words be yours. Uh, shape us more into the likeness of Jesus. In his name we ask. Amen. So it's April 2015, and there's a young man named Temba Tamang. He's from Kathmandu, Nepal. He goes about his standard business of the day. But in April 2015, there's a huge earthquake. Shatters so many of the buildings around, levels the one that he's in, that he's gone to for the majority of his life. He's entombed within some concrete pillars and slabs. He's there without any water. He's there without any food. Uh, He's alive, but he's entombed. And you can imagine if you're in that point of your life, hopeless, sure, absolutely. But the air gets staler and staler. And as that happens, your mouth gets drier and drier. Now, he has a, a jar of ghee, which I have no idea what that is, but ghee is like a form of purified butter that he can use. He keeps himself alive with it. But his mouth is dry to the point where his thirst is painful. You imagine you haven't drunk water or anything for a little while and your mouth gets pained. He's been in there now for four days. Uh, he's... The pain in his mouth is excruciating. The rescuers get to him. They bring him out. Um, Cut to the end there. And you can imagine what they do for him at that point. Is they hydrate him. They give him an IV drip, exactly what he needs, and they give him a drink of water. You imagine that drink of water in that moment. Beautiful, fresh, flowing water going through his mouth, uh, through his throat. Like so refreshing it would feel to him. All of our bodies have a thirst, right? And when we're in that kind of situation, it's really exacerbated the kind of desire that it is. But we always have a thirst. Now, when we have a thirst, we have to have something outside of us to quench that thirst. You can't just bring up something from within yourself to satisfy the thirst that you have. In the case of water, water is life. Without water, we die. Now, in this story that Jesus is talking about, uh, in the Gospel of John. He talks about this desire that we have for a physical thirst, but takes it to a new level. Talk about the thirst of our souls, the thirst of like our being, our inner being, the place of longing that we have, the place of like where our desires are, our deepest, richest needs, some things that we can't even articulate within ourselves. And he's saying, I've come to bring you life. I'm going to satisfy that need. That's a big claim, for sure. Now, he's in, we're in the middle of the Gospel of John, uh, in the middle of chapter 7. So to give you a very quick kind of context of what we've jumped into, is that Jesus has come, uh, Jesus being the Word, come uh, into being. And he is displayed as someone who brings light and life. 
He is the light. He is the life of the world. To a dark and a dead world, that's what Jesus brings. That's who he is. Now that message and him being the son of God has caused a huge mixed response. Some people are loving him for that. They're following him. They're keen. Other people are like, I'm not not so sure, Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to hear you out. Other people are full of the extreme of hating him. Everything in between. The same message and it's called such mixed response. Now the literal setting is the festival of tabernacles. To us that probably means next to nothing. That's okay. You think of like a big festival. We've had New Year's Eve. It's a celebration. That's going on in Jerusalem. It's not New Year's Eve, but they're celebrating provision. Provision in the sense of the harvest, their food, God providing for them. But also because it's tabernacles, they're referring back to the time of Exodus wandering through the wilderness where God provides for them, where God uh, gives them what they need. So they're praising God and they're seeking the provision that he can give. Now, I won't go into the detail, but they're using a lot of symbolism regarding water. Water is on the mind. It's what they're literally doing. Now, Jesus, he's not doing miracles here. He's not healing people. He's done that before. He would do it again. Uh, But he's doing a lot of teaching. But the way that John, our author, has written it, it's not the content of the teaching which is on display, but the response to the teaching. Particularly the response to Jesus' identity and what that means. Jesus' central claim is that he is the one who is sent by God. Sent by God. It's going on again and again in, in John. He says in verse 16, we didn't have this read before, but I'll read it for you. He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. We know that the one who sent him is God the Father. That's happened throughout uh, John before. So Jesus is claiming, I am from God. No one else is just me. You want to know God? You want to know the way to life? I'm from him. In other parts, he's saying, I am literally the son of God, purposely sent from him for you. Now, that confuses people. Confuses them. They're a bit divided on what's going on here. And so that's when we get to our reading. And it said, people were confused. Like, isn't this the man that they're trying to kill? But he doesn't look like the Messiah. In verse 27, we know where he comes from. They know he's from Nazareth. When you think Jesus... And you go, he doesn't fit my categories. This kind of Jesus guy that people talk about, he doesn't seem to fit the kind of saviour, the Messiah that I think he should be. And so people are questioning him. And then Jesus' response at that point is this. Yes, you know me. I'm reading verse 28. Yes, you know me. You know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. Now, that's a cutting word to people who think they know the way to God, to people who think they know the way to life, what the right way to go about things is. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. I am. I am that person. Now, imagine the tension in that place. You imagine some of your friends, your work colleagues, maybe yourself, and you hear that kind of statement. That causes tension. Right? It causes this kind of angst. It causes a stir. Verse 33 to 32, we get such this polarizing picture. Verse 30, people are trying to seize him, but people can't lay a hand on him. Basically, they want to get him out of there. We don't want any more of this Jesus guy. Get him off stage. 31, many believed in him. People, okay, this Jesus, I'm going I'm to pursue him more. I'm going to follow him and see what he's more about. Then you get 32, the Pharisees, the leaders, 
They're hearing the whispers, hearing the murmurs, murmurs, they're jealous. They want to arrest him because they want to kill him. It's mixed. Some love him, some dismiss him, some hate him. You fast forward to our life today, that's the kind of world we live in. We live in a world where some people are perhaps like many, many of us. We're following after him. We're keen. Others are intrigued. Some are dismissing, some to the point of hating, hating who he is. So you can ask us as this morning here, middle of January, where, where are you standing with Jesus? What, what is your response? Just your, your kind of gut reaction, your, your maybe intellectual reaction to him, your body. What is your soul reacting to Jesus? Where are you standing with him? What kind of emotions does it evoke? Is it dismissing? Is it to the point of hating? And if you're hating on Jesus and you're here, welcome. That's an incredible step to make. These words for Jesus are for you as much as it is for anybody else. Perhaps you've gone cold to him. Beginning of the year, reflecting, and maybe you've gone a bit apathetic. Maybe he's intriguing you. Maybe you are dead set following him and you want to know more. The invitation of Jesus that he's about to give is to all of that. No matter where you are in your relationship, where you stand with Jesus, you love him, you hate him, you're indifferent. He extends this loving hand of invitation to you. Jesus, he stands up and he says these words, which are his, that I'll repeat, to a divided crowd. Some who love him, some who hate him. At the climax, it says in verse 37, at the greatest day of the festival, when it's all happening, it's exuberant, it's excitement, experience is at its highest. They're looking for provision, they're doing it with water. He stands up and he says, anyone who is thirsty, anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What a beautiful, rich, but super ambiguous statement. What is Jesus talking about? You can imagine the crowd being a bit confused at that point uh, as well. For some of us, that's a confusing statement. Enduring, uh, alluring in a fact, uh, enticing. But what is Jesus offering here? We want to explore this uh, invitation from Jesus to hopefully understand and taste, to then step into experience what it is that he's offering. So to do that, I'm going to ask three questions of his invitation. Number one, what does it mean to thirst? When, when Jesus is saying, anyone who thirsts, like what is that? What does it mean to thirst? Qu- secondly, how do you come and drink? And then what is this experience of rivers of living water like? That first question, what does it mean to, th- to thirst? Perhaps painting uh, the, or saying the obvious here. But he's saying if anyone is to thirst can come to him. That means the only requirement is thirst. That's the only requirement for anyone who is thirsty. Not a set of rules or regulations or um, some perfect way to think. It's not, I'm thirsty and I'm going to come to Jesus. That means what Jesus is providing is free. Like you imagine you're thirsty, heaps of us drink coffee in the morning. Like you imagine you go to your coffee shop, you're like, man, I'm just desiring coffee and they hand you a coffee for free to satisfy that, that thirst that you have, that desire. That is in a way what Jesus is doing. It's a gracious gift. 
What it also means is that our human soul has a thirst. Uh, Steph actually alluded to this before, and it's a, a quote by John Piper. Maybe it's by Steph, who knows? He said this, When you go without water, your body gets thirsty. When you go without God, your soul gets thirsty. Your body is made to live on water, but your soul is made to live on God. And can I say, that is such an important thing to know about yourself. We're so much like, more than our body. We are our body. We're mind, soul. We're this integrated, complex being that we are. But we are made in the image of God. You're more than muscles and sinews and ligaments and neuron pathways in your brain. You are those things. But you are made in the image of God. And he knows what we need. Our souls thirst for him. And just as your body needs water, so your soul thirsts for God. And Jesus is saying, what I can provide is going to quench that thirst. To help like, remind you of this, uh, so a practice which I've I try to adopt and I have been doing is that when you drink water, right, you're satisfying your thirst, literally. But you can say, when you literally drink water, as my body needs water, so my soul needs God, right? That was actually really good. <laughs> but as I feel that, so my soul needs God, physically reminding myself. That my soul needs Jesus. So to summarize that, the water is free. Our souls have a thirst. And Jesus can satisfy that thirst. That brings us to the second question we're asking of Jesus' invitation. He says, come to me and drink. So how do we come to him and drink? What, is this, what does this mean? What does it mean to come and drink? Now let me offer two observations about that. The first, the first, the first thing is, that what we drink is Jesus. That might sound a bit strange, but what we're consuming, what we're, we're, we're using to, what is transforming us is Jesus. Jesus is what we need. It's not something that we go and find. It's not in something that even Jesus goes and finds and gives to us. No, it is him. Literally Jesus. He gives himself. Now that also means the satisfaction to our soul cannot be found anywhere else. Cannot be found anywhere else other than in Jesus. Now, we can try to do that, though. Now, to give you a, an actual example from uh, drinking, I play for a football team, so soccer, uh, for the glorious Peakers United down here at, uh, at Peaky Park. And if you've had a big, good game, even if you've had a rubbish game, but you've worked hard, you get thirsty, right? So what the boys love to do is they get off the field, the first thing is they smash a beer. You know, if you've been at a soccer team, that's often what goes on, and they feel... They love it, right? And it feels like they're satisfied, quenches their thirst. But that doesn't really hydrate them. It feels like it does. But what they really need is water. And straight after that, if they're not having water, they're getting dehydrated headaches. Because even though the beer satisfies their thirst for a moment, what they really need is water. In the same way, you and I can chase after the things of this world which feel like they satisfy us for a moment, and perhaps they do, but they're fleeting. It may feel like our soul, the thirst of our soul is quenched, but what, it actually, what our souls actually need is Jesus. 
The second thing to offer uh, in answer to this question, what does it look like to come and drink, is that Jesus is talking about more than a one-off experience. It's not just a one-off experience that Jesus is talking to. Now, let me be super clear. He's not talking, we're not talking about the moment of salvation. When you come to Jesus, you become in his family, that's one-off. You don't need to keep reassuring, keep doing a bunch of things to make sure you're in God's family. No, you're in God's family. He's talking about, as you come to me, what is it like to experience this life? The life that he is uh, calling us into. There's a quote by A.W. Tozer. Uh, You might know, might not, he's a uh, Christian author and pastor from uh, last century. And he wrote this, but it just as applies as much then as it did today, as it does today. It says, we can make everything up to center on the initial act of accepting Christ, a term incidentally not found in the Bible, and we are not expected thereafter, thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to ourselves. We have been snared in the coils of a spurious logic that is insisted if we have found him, we need no more seek him. He's saying, don't, don't do that. Why? Because God is inviting us to far more than that. Jesus is calling us to pursue God, to experience God more. With our soul, with our mind, to actually have deep relationship with him, to live for him, with him, for his purposes in this world into eternity. And to experience the joy. Like, experience it. And the fulfillment and relationship that is found in him. It's not just enough to have, well, it is enough to have the right ideas. That's a good thing. We need to have the right ideas about who God is. But it's got to propel us into something. Propel us into following him and just experiencing the relationship that he offers us in him. So I just had my ninth wedding anniversary and we went out with my wife Elizabeth uh, to a restaurant. And imagine like any of you, if you go to a restaurant which is slightly fancier than what you're used to doing, you get out the menu and you start looking at it and you go, oh, what's that? I wonder what this is. You start talking about it. You're wondering, oh, wonder what this will taste like, what that will taste like. You look next to you and you go, oh, that looks good. Should I get that? And then you decide, oh, we're going to get this. All right? You call the waiter, waitress across order it. Now imagine at that point, Elizabeth and I said, this is going to be wonderful, and then walk out. It would seem ridiculous. Like that would be absolutely ludicrous. No one in the right mind would do that. Friends, I have been guilty of doing that exact same thing with God. I have been guilty of just talking about the right stuff, maybe reading the right stuff, but it just remaining that, just talking about it like it's on a menu at a restaurant and then walking out, not actually living, experiencing, doing what it is that God has called us to. Friends, we don't want to be like that. The purpose of eating, right, is sustenance and pleasure. But the purpose of engaging with Jesus is sustenance, life, and is joy to then propel us on the mission that he has sent us on to bring him glory. That is why that we come to church. That is why we read his word. That's why we gather with one another on about his glory, experiencing relationship with him, inviting others into that space. So to summarize this point, coming to Jesus and drinking, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our thirst. And that coming to Jesus and drinking, experiencing the life that he offers is not just a one-off experience. It's a continuous 
invitation into life. That brings us to the, th- the third part of Jesus' invitation, where he talks about these rivers of living water. But what does it mean to experience these rivers of living water going through you? Now, to understand that, we do need to read the next verse, which is that uh, John, the author, makes a helpful comment that what Jesus means is that this is by the Holy Spirit who is to come later. The Holy Spirit comes and is within us. Comes, begins to transform us. But what that means, to give you really quick theology, Father, Son, Spirit are one. So if the Holy Spirit is within you, that is like all of God is within you. Is the person of the, the Spirit. What that means is the river maker is within you. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus. The river maker. Flowing through you. Intimate relationship with God. Satisfaction, fulfillment can flow. Now the Old Testament, it said the scriptures here are being fulfilled. The Old Testament has actually abundant ways that you could look at this. Uh, There's two verses in particular which I think are are quite helpful from Isaiah. There's so many of them, but in God's words to the people before Jesus has come, in anticipation of him, he says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Why spend your money on what not is bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. And then again, a couple chapters later, in 58 verse 11, he says, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Jesus is saying those kind of things, they're being fulfilled in me. This is what he gives his people. This is what he gives uh, his followers. Life that continues to transform. That's his invitation. That's his invitation, remember, to a very mixed crowd. People that are following him through to people that are hating on him. Now, we can choose what we want to do with that invitation. We all have thirsty souls. All of us have thirsty souls. So the question is not whether or not we have a thirst. The question is where we are going to satisfy that thirst. Not whether we have it, whether we're trying to satisfy it, but where we are going. So where are you going? Where am I going to satisfy the thirst of our souls? What are you drinking? What are you using to consume uh, and satisfy the cravings of your inner being? We are all seeking significance, right? We're all seeking worth. We're seeking some form of affirmation. We have some kind of desires of our heart. But we can keep going to places which end up being dry. The promise and the power of Jesus that he not only quenches our thirst, but he actually gives us springs of living water, the river maker flowing through us. So friends, don't go back to those man-made broken systems. Sometimes that's the systems of people who you've put in place of God in some way, shape or form who don't actually satisfy our souls. Seeking significance in the season of your life and not finding it. Perhaps it's numbing out on entertainment or distraction, something of that regard. But you're not feeling rested. 
Now, I know we know it. If you've been in church for a while, you've heard Jesus can satisfy your soul. And that is what Jesus is saying here. So if your soul is thirsty, come to him. Come to Jesus. Accept the invitation. In a sense, it's no secret what that means. In the Gospel of John, it's come and follow him. So for us, that looks like reading his word. It looks like praying, like gathering with his people, understanding what it is to walk in step with the Spirit, to follow in Jesus' way, serving him, living a life of spiritual rhythms. If you're intrigued by Jesus, if you don't know who he is, come and chat to us. Chat with whoever bought you. Chat with someone who's next to you. What, what does it mean, actually, this Jesus guy? What even is his claims? How can he possibly satisfy our soul? If you are a Christian, you've tasted Christ. Don't stop pursuing him. He's called us to more. There's another quote by A.W. Tozer. He says, Our spiritual birth, like becoming a Christian, is not an end but an inception, like an entry into something new, a beginning. For now begins the glorious pursuit, the heart's happy exploration for the infinite riches of the Godhead. To have found God and yet pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. So continue to pursue God. That's what he invites us into. He wants to us to have life to the full. That's what Jesus will say in John chapter 10. Friends, don't wade knee deep into the waters of God and go, oh, this is nice, and stop there. Wade into the deep, infinite riches of God. Swim in it delightfully. Serve him. Enjoy who he is. Call people towards God because you've experienced and known the beauty and the richness of that is relationship with God. Perhaps we're at, the beginning, we're at the beginning of the year, so perhaps set yourself a goal. The young ones, when I say the young ones, the young adults who I often hang out with are talking about ins and outs. Has anyone heard ins and outs? No, nah, knew that wouldn't work. So, New Year's resolutions is more of a thing, goals, whatever it may be. Something that's going to help you as you progress into the year. Right? When you drink water... I was saying before, as you drink water, remember, as my soul, as my physically thirsts, so my soul thirsts for God. When you do that, then do something about it. As you you recognize that your soul thirsts for God, maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's, okay, I'm going to set aside some time to read the Bible. Maybe it's I'm going to go serve someone else. Maybe it's I'm going to write something down. I'm going to, whatever it may be, listen to a psalm. I'm not sure. Something to help you. Now, I learned, and I still almost don't believe it, but apparently with water, you need three liters of water to have a really healthy, hydrated body. That sounds excessive. Three liters of water, perhaps put in three practices. Three practices, rhythms in your life to help you engage with God, to experience that relationship with Him. And of course, there's going to be elements where that takes time. It can be the Bible reading plan, investing in a growing in a relational prayer with God. Like, cut the Christianese. Just be honest. And I know that's hard, because when you're honest with God, that's very interrogating. But that's where the life is. Honest prayer. Uh, Many of you, um, older and wiser than me, have walked the Christian life longer, and I've got a bit of a bookshelf of Christian books that I love to read I never have. I imagine you have that too. Some books on your shelf, you're like, man, I'd love to read that, but haven't read it. Pick up a Christian book and set aside some time to read it. If you don't know one to read, I've got heaps that I can 
Give in your direction, let you borrow. If you want one, I would suggest Enjoying God by Tim Chester. I can lend that to you if you like. Read a psalm. Put a Bible verse on your bathroom. Change it every week. Leave it there for a year and remember it. Put natural rhythms into your life. It doesn't have to be bigger than Ben-Hur. But just things to help you engage your soul with God, your whole body with who he is. My brothers and sisters, friends, people who don't follow Jesus, people who are interested, hear the words of Jesus this morning. Words that are going to a divided crowd, a mixed crowd. He stands up and he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow through within them. Satisfaction to your very being. That's Jesus' invitation to us. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you that you bring satisfaction to our life. You are concerned with our eternity completely. And we thank you so much that you've taken us and you invite us from death into life. And we look forward to you coming again. But we don't need to wait just for that moment to experience a part of relationship with you. And so we ask that you help us to come to you and drink, to experience the life that you offer us. And by your Holy Spirit, may we walk in step with you. May you get all the glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.